all, it's only as good as when, when it works uh, like it should. And I apologize about my voice this morning, so I'm hoping to be able to get through, through it all with, with it intact. But uh, again, my name is Justin, and my wife Mandy is down here on the second row, and we have our little son David. And uh, we also have one on the way. Um, we're about 12 weeks-ish pregnant. So uh, the baby's name right now is Fish <laughs> because that's what my three-year-old wanted to name him until we, well, name until we find out if it's a boy or a girl. So we, we, let, him, uh, we let him be involved in that and uh, everything. So this morning, uh, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to come and um, I wanted to show, share with you about our ministry. And uh, if you want to go to the uh, first slide. And um, the wanted to share with you about our ministry where we've been. And then uh, Pastor David asked me to, to preach. And, you know, as I was, you know, trying to figure out what to, to do, I wanted to basically share how the Lord got us or got me from a secular job and to the mission field through Scripture. And um, so that's what we're going to, um, after we go through the ministry and, and show you all the, all the pictures and everything like that, uh, then we'll be able to do that. So we've been on the field a total of three years uh, in Zambia. We went originally in 2018 uh, to intern with um, a couple, Dan and Janice Jalowick, um, which I think y'all support here as, a, as missionaries. We spent a year on the field with them, just learning uh, from them and letting God confirm in our life. And then uh, we came home, and that's when the lovely COVID hit. And uh, so that prolonged our stay here a little bit, um, but we were able to get back to the field in September of 21, and uh, we, we came back uh, in September of last year for our furlough. Uh, go ahead to the next slide. So in the past two years since we've been there, these are the, the statistics. We've had 286 people come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, those are 286 individuals that either myself or my wife or one of the people on our team met with one-on-one to let them have assurance of their salvation. And, you know, 286 people going to heaven, you know, uh, and it's just a, a tremendous blessing. There's been three churches planted that we've been a part of in the past two or two years. What that means is the physical buildings built, Obviously, I know that the church is not the building, uh, but you know, just like us Americans, we love love to have a building to go meet at. Uh, same way as them, it gives ownership to that church and that congregation. And three men that were trained um, to be over, you know, to to have to oversee that flock. Uh, and then there was four additional Bible studies planted. What that means is. Another word for it is preaching points. You go out, you have a Bible study during the week. They may or may not become churches. We don't force anything on them um, because if, you, you know, if we force anything on them, the minute we leave or, or go somewhere else, they're going to do whatever they want to anyways. Right. So you know, we're, we were there and uh, you know, still we made, or I, I trained men in my, in my absence to keep going to, uh, to these places. Now we did, uh, the past two years we've been with, we had an, a colleague that we were working with and he is, and him and his wife are still there on the field uh, ministering in that aspect. Go ahead. These are three of the men that uh, are part of that 286. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I wanted to show, share with you a story about the one on the left. His name is Joseph. 
Um, he actually uh, lives in the town of Livingston, and uh, that's where we had to go to get supplies. So we lived uh, two hours outside of town in the village. So we, we had to drive two hours to go to the grocery store, two hours to get fuel, everything in your mind that you're thinking that you need, you know, essentially for your house, we had to go two hours to, uh, into town to get it. And um, so this gentleman, I went to drop off our vehicle to get serviced, uh, to get something fixed, and I was walking back to the place we were staying, and this gentleman comes up beside me and asking for peace work. For those of you that have been to Malawi, you understand what peace work is. It's just daily work for these people to, to actually, you know, get something to eat or, or whatever. I didn't have anything because we didn't stay in town. And uh, so, you know, I did the Christian thing. I asked him, you know, hey, where do you go to church? Do you know Jesus? And everything on my mind that morning that I had to get done. Um, I don't know if any of y'all are like that. When you have, you, sometimes you get a one-track mind. And uh, that's the way I was that morning. So I, I turned and went to the place we were staying and I don't know if you've ever had the Holy Spirit just almost verbally talk to you. Mm-hmm. I turned, was going, and, and, and I felt it. It's, and it was like, why are you even here? Right. And uh, immediately, I knew that I had messed up. Immediately, I knew that I had failed. So as odd as it looks for an, a large American guy to chase down his Ambien, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did that morning. Uh, I, I chased him down. I said, hey, I need to ask you some more questions. And I said, if you'd have died last night, where would you be at this morning? And uh, he's like, well, I hope heaven. And I said, why, why do you hope? I'm still working on my relationship with God. And immediately, I knew that he wasn't saved. He did not have a relationship with Christ. So I pulled out my phone, and I walked him through the Romans Road, which he had never heard before. And uh, he played music at the church that he attended in Livingston. And... Um, he accepted Christ. Uh, we was able to get him plugged in with a, a church in town that we are affiliate, affiliated with, uh, that teaches true doctrine, that has discipleship, that you know, that has a program and a process of spiritual growth, and uh, which I know y'all have here, which is tremendous. You don't know. You, I hope you understand that you are a minority in churches in this country uh, of having that, and. Um, so we were able to get him plugged in, and he's attending there now and growing. And I just wanted to share with you, if you go to the next slide, I wanted to share with you that story because it doesn't matter if you're, you have a secular job and you're a layperson or you're a pastor or you're a missionary. You, everybody fails. It's, and it's not how you fail, it's how you go forward in that. Um, and how you learn from that. In Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on Him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the preacher in that, in that verse is not talking about the man that sits behind this pulpit. Yeah. It is talking about all of us right. as born-again believers in Jesus Christ outside of the four walls of this church. Right. And what we are doing out in the community, out in your everyday life, out in my everyday life, for the kingdom of God. Go ahead and go to the next one. You know, uh, so Mandy, if she was uh, up here, um, she would tell you that her first ministry is David and I. And Fish, you know, when he comes. He or she comes. <laughs> but, um, but, and, you know, obviously, you know, I shared with you that we live, you know, she has to cook everything that we eat. There is no, re- you know, obviously. And you can tell by looking at me, she does a very good job at that. <laughs> Um, but uh, 
But, but she also has a passion for the women and the children in the, in the ministry that we're a part of and in, in, in where we're at right now. Um, this is her Thursday class. She, had a, she taught ladies on uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And um, she, this was her Thursday class. They had some ladies that asked her to come uh, teach them. And, you know, to try to figure out what to teach them, she just started asking them questions. You know, hey, I need to find out where you are at. And um, so she did, and she understood that the, the, the ladies knew the story of Joseph, knew the story of David, knew the story of Jesus, knew the story, stories through the... They had no idea how to put them together. They had no idea why they were, they were in the order they, they are or why the 66 books of our Bible are in the order that they are. So she wrote a curriculum called Creation to Christ. It started with creation, went all the way through the Old Testament, explaining why we need a Savior. And um, she proceeded to teach these ladies on Thursday for a little over a year, um, all the while training a couple of them inside of that group to actually go out and reproduce themselves. And if you go to the next slide, uh, you see a couple of these ladies here. The one on the left is, uh, her name's Lillian. It's uh, the headman's wife. And a headman in a, in a village is kind of like the mayor, um, you know, just kind of oversees what happens in the village. Uh, the one in the middle, her name is Mary, and uh, she's a second wife of a, of a man. Um, now, it's not like this in all of Zambia, but the area we were in, it is heavily influenced with polygamy. Um, you, I could go into a village and I could almost guarantee 50% of the men had multiple wives. And uh, obviously makes it very difficult to find a pastor out of that group. Um, you know, we have anywhere from two, I've seen upwards of seven, um, you know, wives to a man. And, um, and it's a very difficult, it's, a, it's very cultural, it's, you know, and it's hard to break um, because they just accept it and they don't think there's anything wrong with it. Even when you show them, now she, she does, and she's, you know, but she can't just go out of that relationship. Because if she did, she had no way of supporting herself. She has no way of doing anything um, because everything would be taken from her. Um, so, and then you have the one on the right, Malaya. Malaya is one of the intricate pieces to uh, Mandy's ministry. She translated for her and, and everything like that. She was also a multiple wife. She was purchased as a young girl um, for just, I mean, literally just dollars. I mean, it was a very mi a minute amount of money. But she was able to work herself out of it and get out of that situation and is seeking, you know, to, to have a godly husband and, and everything and seeking the Lord uh, the way she needs to. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, so this is two of the congregations or two of the churches that uh, out of those three that was planted. The one on the left is Samuba Baptist Church and uh, the one, man in the red, white, and blue, that's the pastor. Um, and the one on the bottom is Wachilla Baptist Church. And, you know, I don't want you thinking there's 700 people that we have coming to church every Sunday because that's not true. <laughs> that was the only picture I had and it was the night that we dedicated the church. And, you know, just like, you know, Baptists that we're, you know, you know, when you have an event and you have food, everybody comes. And uh, it's the same way as it is there. So we, we did have about 700 people there that night. And um, the gospel was preached. And there was a couple that accepted Christ. But, um, but that's that, just two of the congregations that we have. If you want to go to the next one. 
So my main role in, our, in the ministry was to pour into the pastors and the leaders of the churches. When we started uh, in February, or September of 21, there was 12 churches in the ministry. And uh, like I said, we helped plant an additional three. Um, so my job was to uh, pour into the pastors and leaders of those churches. So I met with each one of them every single week and built kind of like what Mandy did. I, when I first got there, I just started asking them questions. You know, and the main question I had for them, you know, I'm, a, I'm somebody that comes up uh, front after, you're, after you've preached, and I want to accept Christ. Lead me to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there and listened to them talk. And, um, you know, and it's amazing of what they, what they say. But by that answer, I knew where they were at. And um, so I built curriculum to, to help them, not only in their personal relationships, but also to help them, you know, uh, when, with the flock that they were given. And another thing that I did was a pastor's conference. This is one from last May that we did. And we did a, uh, it was a four-day conference on the book of Acts. And we went verse by verse through the book of Acts in four days. It is, it was, and like you can imagine, it was like drinking out of a fire hose. And uh, I had a team from America, from Huntsville, uh, Alabama, come and do it. And we met for eight hours a day for four days. And, uh, and I meant for that to happen because... I was able to take that same curriculum when the team left and reteach it. And I don't know about you, but every, I usually learn much more the second time I hear it. And uh, that was my, my plan behind it. Each conference I did that. And uh, this is just one of the examples uh, of that. And go to the next one. These are three of the, the pastors um, that, we, that we have. Uh, Pastor Obed is on the left, which if you look on our table, you see some knives that are sitting there. He's the one that made those. And uh, you have Pastor Daka on the top right and then Pastor Peter on the bottom right. And uh, Pastor Peter is the one that had the pastor of the church with all those people in it a couple of pictures ago. Um, go ahead. You know, anytime you're on the, you know, really any type of ministry, your main goal should be evangelize, discipleship, plant churches. But obviously there's, there's things that come along, humanitarian things that you, that you try to facilitate to, to help people out. You know, the, this was one of the schools that was just right down the road from our house. And uh, we would take them supplies when we had them. And uh, we happened to just take them some soccer balls and some things like that for one of their um, sports days that they had at this point. Uh, the top left is uh, one of the things that my colleague was doing when I got there. Is any, if there was any child in the village that died, he would actually build the casket for them to help fi- you know, with financially uh, for them to be buried. Um, so when we first got there, that, this was the first one that I got to experience, which was very emotional. Um, you know, Bill, there was a little eight-year-old, or I'm sorry, eight-month-old uh, girl that passed away. And uh, the father brought, uh, asked us to do it, and I was sitting here building this casket with my 16-month-old right next to me. And uh, it was just very, it, it took me a couple of times doing that before, you know, it, you just didn't get emotional, overly emotional. Obviously, it was emotional every time, but, you know, we would build it, we would take it to the house, they would place the body in it so they could actually be buried properly um, in, in the village and everything like that. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> This is another thing that we, uh, we did when we were there is we had a, a bench project. And normally we would not do this because our belief is we want the, the people of the congregation in the churches to have as much buy-in as possible. So we, we, we tried to let them do everything and, and just kind of come alongside of them. 
But this little girl is the reason why we decided to raise money from America, you know, American churches to put benches in each one of them. She went, and for some of you that have been to Malawi and been to a village church, you know, it's just a, normally it's like a log, maybe propped up with some bricks, and you just sit, they just sat down on it. Well, she did that one day, went down and put her hand behind it, and she got bit by a cobra right on her hand. And that's why she's awkwardly holding her hands up in the picture. But uh, she, lo- she lost some of her finger on, and then uh, most of her finger on her, uh, this, yeah, right hand. It always throws me off, because, but uh, on the right hand. But uh, we were a- they were able to get her to the clinic, get her uh, um, anti-venom, so she just lost some of her fingers and not her life, thankfully. And, um, but those are just some of the things that we've, we've done since we've been there for the past two years. Go ahead. And we try to get David as involved as much as we possibly can. You know, having a, uh, a toddler on the field and, uh, you know, when we first took him, I, you know, in my mind, you, you have uh, everything that I experienced when I was young, you know, playing sports, going to, going to church and having a big children's ministry, you know, and doing all these things that, that I'm like, he's not going to get to experience that. And, um, but then you think of everything that he is going to get to experience that I didn't. And uh, so we tried to get him involved as much as we possibly could, giving out Christmas presents to the pastors at one of the, the pastor's conferences. And then to the you know, bottom right, we would go to the borehole. And you know, he loved pumping the borehole you know, and with the other little kids that were there. And they loved seeing him because they oftentimes see grown-up, but they, ne- they very rarely, especially deep in the village, they very rarely see Makua babies or Mazungu babies, as in Chewa. Um, so they would always ask me to bring him. They would always ask, you know, when I would go to a Bible, ah, when are you going to bring the Makua baby? Makua baby. And uh, so we would, we would get him involved as much as we possibly could. Go ahead and go to the next one. Again, my, my role was to... Um, invest in the pastors and leaders of the churches. And when I first got there, I identified a couple of them that, um, that I was going to invest more in so they would take my role when we came back to America because I knew we would be here for an extended amount of time. I didn't want what we were doing to stop. So that's what I did. And, and I did it in the reasoning of just for that short time. But the Lord actually had different plans. And if you want to go to the next one. So when we go back to Zambia, we were actually going to be relocating um, across the country to a uh, town called Mfue. It's about 60,000 people, and um, there is not a, a biblically doctrinal church in that town. And what we're going to do is we're going to plant the, a model church and use that church to train men to go out to the villages. And then if you want to go to the next uh, slide, the yellow there is key cities in that province. Uh, each one of those yellow dots uh, represents a city of 50,000 people or more. And the province has just short of a million. And uh, there's only one uh, ministry that we know of that is doctrinally sound in that entire yellow enclosure. And it's at the very top. It's called Nkonde. And that's one of the reasons we have uh, identified and started at the bottom um, to work our way up. The yellow enclosure is, if you want to say, a different phase that's a completely different uh, province that is the same um, unreached area. It's called the Luapula province of about 1.5 million. So there's a, uh, there's a huge need 
in that, in that area, as many of you well know, being involved in Malawi, there's just a huge need of not, there is a huge need of, of, of Christ, but the correct Christ. The correct teaching, the correct doctrinally sound teaching of Jesus Christ, which uh, many of you understand that that's not always there, just because Jesus' name is attached to it. And uh, so that's our plan when we go back, is to, um, to move across the country. To kind of give you an idea, the Zambia is about the size of Texas. So we're going to be tra- moving about 18 hours um, across the country to plant this church in Mfue, and then, you know, see that ministry uh, grow um, outwards from that. If you want to go to the next one. Okay, so what I want to do right now is I want to, um, I want to show you how the, the Lord led us to where we're at. You know, we, we, Mandy and I come from a very uh, mission-minded church. We had missionaries come in all the time um, in North Alabama. It's called Decatur Baptist. And I, I remember used to sitting there and, and seeing these men and women come in and saying, how, how does that even happen? Like, how do you, how do you go to the mission field? Like, wh- what does that even look like? And um, so that's what I want to share with you uh, this morning. Um, let me pray for us right quick, and then we'll get a... If you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, that's where we're going to start. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you this morning for the opportunity to, to share the ministry that you have us in, but also to, to share your word, to share how you have worked in my life uh, to get us where we're at today. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here, and I just pray that you would speak through me. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so a little bit of the backstory: I accepted Christ as my Savior in uh, 2010. I was 25 years old. And it was in January of 2016 that I truly surrendered to His Lordship. And you may be sitting here saying, is that not the same thing? And it's absolutely not. Amen. You know, the, that, that, that weight of righteousness that, that Pastor David was talking about, the willingness to let God do anything He wants in your life, a total surrender to the Lord. So the, the Lord used this verse or these verses where I truly told God that I would do anything. You know, well, shortly after that is when God showed me John chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You know, a very common story in the Bible where Jesus turned water into wine. So let me read it for us right quick. And then on the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they had wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto Him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. His mother said unto, unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six pots, water pots of stone, after the manner of purifying the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the, called the bridegroom. And what we, what we see here is he showed me that the servants that obeyed Jesus and served the governor, they did not know when the water was going to be turned into wine. 
They just obeyed. Like the servants, God asked me to trust and obey Him. You know, I didn't, my, I, at the time, I, was, uh, I worked at a Ford dealership. I worked, uh, I, actually, I went to school just north of here in, in Mooresville, North Carolina, to, at NASCAR Technical Institute. And uh, I graduated there and I started working for a, a Ford dealership in the service department. And, um, but the Lord was, was calling me to quit my job and pursue ministry. But I had no, he, he, he didn't share with me how he was going to provide for me. You know, that little tidbit of, how am I going to pay my bills, Lord? And uh, I was, at the time, I was single. I had my, my own house, all the bills that we're all very familiar with. And, uh, but, you know, he, he, he clearly showed me this, these verses that, that these servants did not know when, it, they'd never say when it turned into wine. They bared water, and he and the governor tasted the best wine that he had tasted. Doesn't say when it, when it turned. You know, so, and, and in, this, in this verses, you see if they would have given him water, that they would have basically got out of uh, water pots that the Jews washed their hands in, there could have been very bad repercussions to them. And, uh, but they still obeyed. And that's what the Lord was saying to me. You just, just obey, I'll provide. So I left everything to, I knew to be normal, and um, I started a lawn care company to pay my bills. The serv- just like the servants acted in obedience to Jesus' words, I was to obey the words of God as well. Um, so I ask you this morning, you know, what is the foundation? What is your foundation of faith? What is that? You, you, you have a, everybody has a foundation, but what is yours? Is, if it's anything other than the word of God, then it will fail. Does, it's not if, ands, or but. It will fail if it's anything other than, this word, than the Word of God. So, so about a year later, uh, in 2017, uh, God next spoke to me out of Matthew uh, chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. If you want to turn over there right quick, this is, a, again, a very familiar story. I think you're going to see that common theme. Through this, through uh, my testimony, these are—it's not some, you know, a lot of these are not some obscure verses. It's it's very common stories that we all know very well. You know, the story of Peter being called out of the boat onto the uh, to walk on the water with Jesus. You know, Matthew fourteen verses twenty-five, and it says, "In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea." And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter said unto him, or, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come out under the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he, he was afraid. And began to, beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So at this time, I, was a, uh, I got a part-time uh, position at our church on staff as a missions coordinator. Um, and I was over-communicating with the missionaries that we have supported all over the world. I was uh, helped with the, the mission trips that we did and coordinating them, getting the team to the field, getting them back, you know, and, and communicating with the missionaries if they needed anything, uh, what we could do to help them. 
But just like Peter in the boat, I was able to see God do amazing things all over the world, but I was able to do it from the safety of the four walls of the church. Um, I, was able to, I was able to see what was going on without actually putting myself into a position to where I had to rely on Him fully. So, you know, it's not that this position was not important in the church because it was. But just like it says in, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We all have a role. You know, there are people that, that, are, that, are in, that work in the church that, that are part of the church and that's what the Lord has called them to do. But there are also people that, that have jobs in the community that, that, are, that are sharing the gospel out there every day. And, but then, then there's ones that God calls to go even further out of their comfort zone. It's not, that, it's not that we're any more special because we're not. Trust me, my wife can attest to that. <laughs> but, but we also have to have that, that point of obeying. So I was at the point of God calling me to step even further out of my comfort zone to trust Him. So in, the, in these verses, what it doesn't say, but is happening, is the other disciples are in the boat right. and is seeing what's happening, but they don't get to experience Jesus in that moment like Peter did right. when he was on the water. They, got, they get to see it, but Peter got to actually experience this, that saving grace when he was sinking and, and, and Jesus pulled him out. So the question this morning for you is, what is God calling you to step out of the boat for? It, leaving for Christ is hardly ever within our comfort zone. It's, it's, it's hardly ever within our comfort zone. So is it, is it to start praying consistently or to fast or to spend more time in the Word? Very simple things. Is, it, is, is God calling you to, to, to fast? I hate fasting. I honestly do because I get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but is that what God's calling us to do? Right. Or, or, to, or to wake up that extra hour before, before you need to go do something to actually spend time in the Word of God? Yeah. Or what other aspects? To start building that structure of faith that, that we all have to have. So what is that aspect for you? It's different for everybody. Not everybody is to quit their job and go to Africa. <laughs> uh, rarely is, it, is that the first step. But what is the next step for you? So at the end of 2017, that you know, I was talking about stepping out of the boat. That's when this would come to fruition. You know, we were going through a missions conference in, uh, at our church. And part of the text that, that we used is Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. This text is you know, one of Paul's missionary journeys. Again, very well-known verse, verses of Scripture that I'm sure many of us have, have read many times. It says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and for, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after coming down to Messiah, they had to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Messiah, went down to Tro Troas, and a vision appeared unto Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and, and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to, for to preach the word or preach the gospel unto them. 
So God at this time was showing me that Paul did not sit back and wait on the doors to open for him to walk through. He pursued the doors and let the Holy Spirit either keep them open or shut them. You see twice that Paul tried to go to different places and it said the Spirit suffered him not. The Spirit suffered him not. And then he then he went to the went to the third one. You know, I think us as you know Americans, you know, especially in the in the you know sweet South, you know, and I have heard this saying more times than I can count in church, and it's normally with your arms folded. I'm just sitting here waiting on the Lord to open up a door for me. If we read this these verses, that's the exact opposite of Paul, the greatest missionary other than Christ Himself. That's exactly that's ex- not exact or not what he did. He pursued those doors and, and let the the Holy Spirit either uh, open them or keep them shut. So at this time, I, I contacted a missionary in Zambia, Dan and Janice Jalowick, which y'all know, and asked if Mandy and I could come to Zambia and work with them for a year. We called it our learn and confirm trip. We were we were going to to Zambia to to learn from seasoned missionaries but also let God confirm that this is what we're supposed to do um, for, you know, for the rest of our lives or for at least the foreseeable future. Um, so we, we called them, and uh, it, it was an open door. So we kept moving. We kept going forward. You know, Proverbs 16.9, and this is one of my, my, personally, my life verse. It says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. So there's something that we have to be doing for the Lord to direct our steps. We have to be stepping. The Lord will not break your free will to serve Him. Just like He didn't break your free will to accept, accept Him as your Savior, He will not break your free will to actually serve Him. But if you start stepping to Him, He will direct your steps. You know, I... I uh, I shared with you that I was a service advisor at the Ford dealership, you know, and when you get a vehicle towed in, obviously it doesn't work or you would drive it, you know. So we would have to, you know, obviously go out and push it in the, into the shop, you know, and I remember, you know, when you, when you got in there and it wouldn't run, it was extremely hard to turn the wheel. But the faster it got going, the easier it was to turn. And our lives are the exact same way with Christ. When we're stationary, He's not going to break your free will, and we are very hard to turn. But when we're stepping towards Him, it's easier for Him to actually direct us in what we needed to do. So for the Lord to direct our steps, we have to be doing that. We have to be stepping. And He will not break that free will. So we spent the year of 2019 in Zambia ministering with Dan and Janice in Chapada. And uh, just like God confirmed through Scripture to get us there the first time, He was going to do the same thing to, to, to show us that we needed to go back. So the year um, was coming to an end, and the missionary, obviously Dan, that I was working with, we, we were taught one last conference in the capital of Lusaka. Um, it was a, to a bunch of pastors that were coming together, and we were teaching them, and we used the book of Nehemiah. To, uh, for, as the topic for the conference. So as preparing for this conference, uh, God used this book to teach me that serving Him sometimes is not glorious in the world's eyes. You know, and I know you think, well, duh. You know, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, coming from a church 
that is very missionally minded, I'll, we always looked at the, at, at the missionaries that came in as, man, they're in a glorious position. We are praising them for what they're doing. But, but learning that the world doesn't look at it like that. You know, we often, even by our family, got asked, why are you going? What are you doing? There are plenty of churches here that you could pastor. Well, there are plenty of churches here that we can pastor. And hopefully, through churches like this and discipleship, there's plenty of men that's ready to pastor them. Right. And, um, you know, and so, the, you know, we, that the Lord or that the world did not look at the, um, the, the as a glorious position. And so we, we use, like I said, we use the, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so Nehemiah in this book has been living in the king's palace. He was a cupbearer, which was a very important position in the kingdom. He had no worries of himself. His brother Hananiah and certain men of Judah came and told him of the sad state of Jerusalem. You know, so being a cupbearer, it was a very easy position. Yeah, you literally drank the drink and ate the food before the king did to make sure he didn't die. That was it. And, and he got to live in the palace. He, he had all the luxuries that he would want. But as soon as he told, as soon as uh, Hananiah told uh, Nehemiah, he fell on his face and prayed to God. And in, in Nehemiah 1.11, it says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee for thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. He could have easily just done that and went on about his life in the palace. Remember, he had a great life in the palace. Everything worldly he could ever, ever want it. But the Lord gave him this little thing called a burden for the city of Jerusalem, and more specifically for the, the wall around it. So, but, so, but instead of merely praying, if we, if we go to the uh, second, or Nehemiah 2, 1 through 6, he petitioned the king to rebuild the walls. He petitioned a king who was not an Israelite. He, he petitioned someone who could have, ju- just like I was t- talking about the servants earlier, who could have just killed him. If he didn't like what he said. But in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it came, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my countenance uh, be sa- or why should not my countenance be sad? When the city that the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. And the, and the king said unto me, For that what dost thou make the request? For I prayed to the God of heaven and said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant be found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And that the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long should thy journey be, and wilt thou shall return? So it pleased the king to send me 
and I set him a time. You know, so often we pray expecting God to do all the work. Nehemiah got up from his knees, stood to his feet, and did something about the need at hand. You know, and again, in Proverbs 16:9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The Lord directed the steps of Nehemiah. So we have to pray as if it, if pray if it depends on God, but work as if it all depends on us. God expects us to do the possible and trust him with the impossible. And in chapter four, you see where the enemy appears. We can always be certain of one thing. The enemy will always come, you know, when the, when, when the Lord is doing something, the enemy will always come against it. The enemy will ridicule us. He will discourage us. He will attempt to strike fear in us. So during our first uh, year in Zambia, about six months of that time, my wife was sick. She had a, uh, we, we know what it is now, but she had an inner ear issue that almost uh, that had a uh, effect on her that had her in, almost in a constant state of vertigo oh, no. and, it, and if you if those of you that's been to Malawi understand that driving on those roads having vertigo <laughs> is terrible and that's exactly what she was experienced those last six months it was very discouraging and you know we we felt many times like just coming home and we got advice to come home Come home, find out what's going on. And, but we never had the peace about doing that. Um, but if we, would have, if we would have done that, we, we had an opportunity uh, about eight months in to go to the southern province where we've been in the past two years. And we would not have done that if, uh, if we would have come home and uh, where the Lord showed us where we were supposed to be at for the past two years. So God showed me through the study of Nehemiah. Um, but... Most of all, he showed me that Nehemiah was the right man in the right place at the right time. But more than anything, he was willing to serve even if it wasn't bettering himself. <clears throat> so the, the Lord actually brought me through um, a, something. It was one of my first mission trips that I was going to go on. It was in 2014. And ironically, it was to Zambia. And... Um, you know, we, uh, we, um, we had a mission team leader that, ex- that he believed in, in over-preparing you. This trip was in November. We started in March um, studying for what we were going to be doing there. And, you know, I was working at the dealership at the time. At, in this, and, uh, you know, I asked off and you know, I asked off for two weeks, which was very rare in a dealership world to, do, to get two weeks off with, uh, with pay. And, uh, but they let me off, so we, we decided to, or I, you know, there was an open door, so I kept going and um, preparing and everything like that. And about two, two to three weeks before we went, the, uh, this was when Ebola, or Ebola was in Africa. There was, you know, obviously it was all over the news. The news probably didn't have anything else to talk about. That's why they did that. But, um, but that's, that's when it was there, and my, my manager came to me about three weeks before we were supposed to leave. And he says, I've already let you off, and I'm not, I can't tell you you can't go. But if you go, when you come back, you have to take 30 days off without pay. And immediately, I went into this storm. 
and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I can't, I can't be off 30 days without pay. I had just bought a house and I was re, you know, remodeling it. And I'm like, what, what, why is this happening? You know, I know for, you know, clearly that the Lord had showed me to go. Um, but you know, through, you know, what I thought was prayer, it was generally me, me saying words, but me trying to formulate it in my mind rationally what I should do. I see that now. I didn't see it then. But, um, but we, you know, through, the, through getting, you know, what I thought was good advice and everything like that, I decided not to go. So the team left, and they did mission trip. They had a great conference. They came back, and, um, you know, nobody had Ebola, obviously. And, um, but they, you know, about a month later, my grandmother had called all the grandkids to, the, to her house, and my great-grandmother had passed away a couple of months before that. She was 102. It was, you know, a natural, natural thing. But um, she gave us all the grandkids an inheritance check of within $100 of what I would have made in 30 days. And at that moment, I knew that I had, I had messed up. And uh, I knew that God had... Was aware of everything that was going to happen, and already had a way of providing that on the backside. But just like I was explaining before, he didn't let me in on that little tidbit of information. That's right. That might be and uh, so, you know, I used that story as as simple as uh, as thirty days of, of pay as it is. But I've used that story and looking back on how God already prov- was going to provide for me, even until now. You know, you know, when we were going on deputation, uh, a full-time deputation back in 21, and we were going to these, you know, all, the, all around, you know, trying to raise support to go live in another country where I can't have a job. You know, I would, I would look back and be like, Lord, you, you called us to do this, so I know you're going to provide just like you was going to then. Mm-hmm. And um, so in this, uh, in this transition... The, to from where we've been out the, the past two years in Yawa to going to Mfue. Um, the Lord also, just like the, the, the previous times, showed us through Scripture of what we should do and, and why we should do it. So in this transition, the Lord has led us through Scripture. And one of the passages that He's talking about or showed, showed me is Acts 8, verses 26 through 31. <coughs> Excuse me. And while you're turning there, I'm going to get some water right quick. All right. <clears throat> and, in the, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him reading or read the prophet Isaiah and said, unto, and said Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except a man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So, so I ask you this morning, you know, what, is the, what is the Lord asking you to do? There's always a specific reason why He asks us to do something. You know, We see in the verses before, if we were to go back up, that Philip was already sharing the gospel. 
He was already, he was actually already leading a revival. And we, you know, in verses 4 through 8, proclaiming the gospel in Samaria before he was told by the Holy Spirit to go minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was doing the work of the Lord when the Holy Spirit told him to go. And then in verse 30 it says, And Philip ran. You know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. When the Lord told us to go to Mfue, I didn't do so much running. I'm like, man, Lord, you, you come across, we, we've went across the world and we've, we've got a ministry that we've been ministering to and, you know, we're, we're comfortable. My kid has friends that he has and, and now you're calling us to uproot and leave and go again. And, you know, obviously the Lord, when we have concerns, He, he shows us. And, you know, he, that's what, you know, he showed us these verses, this verse here. And, you know, that, yes, that the, he is uprooting us. And so when, when, when we were in Mfue, we went back in July scouting it out. And uh, there were p- three people who accepted Christ as their Savior. Um, they were, they, one of them was a Seventh-day Advent, and two of them were uh, what's called a New Apostolic, which is kind of like a church of God in America. Uh, they, they had never heard the gospel laid out from Romans, just like Joseph from earlier. It's a, it was amazing, like they had never heard that. Um, there's always a reason why the Lord asked us to do something. So when this door was opened for us to plant the church in Mfue, this was even further out of our comfort zone. Like I, I was sharing with you before, you know, we, we were colleagues with Dan and Janice, and then we went down to the southern, proverb, southern province and uh, were colleagues with this other missionary couple that were seasoned missionaries. We were continually learning. And now the Lord is sending us to actually plant, the, plant a new ministry uh, there in Mfue. So again, just like I, I've mentioned before, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord will direct his steps. Now remember when we were talking about Acts 8, it said that Philip ran to the Ethiopian. Philip was definitely letting the Lord direct his steps. The question is, are we? The question is, we, are we doing that ourselves? Are we doing that daily? Are we continually building that structure of faith in our lives? Discipling, prayer, spending time, diligent time in the Word of God. Not just spending time in the Word of God. You know, not just having your, and, and, and I often do this when I'm, you know, in the morning when I'm, you know, reading the Bible, I have my, my AirPods in and I, I listen to it. And, but spending diligent time, time on purpose, studying the Word of God. And are we acting out that weight of righteousness, letting God do what He wants in our life? Not what, I, not what we want. I love doing what I want. What I want is easy and oftentimes in my comfort zone. But are we letting Him do what He wants in our lives? Because if we live our lives only having the knowledge of Christ without actually applying what the Word teaches, then there is a problem. That's what most of this country is doing. They sit here in, in congregations and they, they hear, they hear, they hear, they hear, they hear without any application. And that is the problem with the church today is there's no application. There's no add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. 
You know, virtue is the acting out of what we know. You know, God doesn't expect us to know everything before we start doing something. You add to your faith virtue. What is that? Well, at that time, really the only thing that you know is the Lord Jesus Christ saved me and, and brought me out of bondage and I am free. Yeah. Now share that part. And then you can learn. And once you, once you have that virtue, then your knowledge should come. And again, Proverbs 16, 9. And I, and I know I've used that verse a lot, but it is, it is my life verse. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord will direct your steps. He will direct you. The key thing that we have to do is we have to let Him. We have to fully surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him use us to build the kingdom of God. And that's the only way it's going to be accomplished. And that's the best way it's going to be accomplished. So I just wanted to thank you uh, this morning for letting us come. If you want to go to the last slide. This is how you can keep up with us. Um, you don't have to take a picture of that because all of that information is on our prayer card. Um, out there, you can grab one and you know put it wherever you'd like, your refrigerator, wherever. And uh, just keep us in your prayers as we, as we go back um, to move. You know, and also as you know, we have uh, their, um, the baby is due uh, September the 3rd, whether he, he or she comes early um, or not. Um, so we will be going back officially with all four of us with a eight to 10 week old. So that's going to be even tougher than a 14 month old that we did last time. So just pray for us in that aspect of, um, of our transition and then truly having key men that we can, um, true key men, Zambians that we can truly come alongside with and train to go out to these other cities and then the villages that surrounded him to build the kingdom of God the way that the Lord wants. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen.